If you've ever listened to or read many interviews with artists about their creative process, one statement or phrase that really seems to come up often is the idea of, quote, serving the work to whatever that means in front of them. As someone who's worked in music journalism for decades, I've heard countless songwriters say the term serving the song is their utmost goal. When someone says that, I think what they're describing is their attempt to get out of the way of the creative process itself. It's a notion that there's some sort of pure, undefiled flow of creativity pouring from an inspired place, and then serving the song or the work means allowing it to be what it wants without thinking about internal fears or marketplace hopes or even listener demands. But here's the thing. While it's great to serve the work and create without capitulating to toxic voices or unnecessary masters, it's only part of the process. Beyond the creation of it, there's also the reflection upon it and the reveal to others. At this stage in our exploration of Genesis 1 in our Call It Good series, it felt important to sit down with Pete Peterson, someone who sits at an important nexus in relation to calling it good. As the creative director of The Rabbit Room, Pete is tasked with shaping a creative community whose mission is, quote, to cultivate and curate stories, music, and art to nourish Christ-centered communities for the sake of the world. As an author and playwright, Pete knows and feels firsthand the tension that comes with serving the work and seeing it all the way through to its release. Are we allowed to reflect on what we've made and call it good too? If so, then why does the sharing of what we've created feel so awkward? And how can community play a role in making all of this a healthier process? We spoke to Pete about his own creative pursuits, as well as the mission of the Rabbit Room, to gain a better foothold on this part of serving the work and what it means to see it through to its end. Here's our conversation with Pete Peterson. Welcome back to another episode of Call It Good. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Today, I'm happy to sit down with a good friend and a good friend to all of you, I think, too. Executive Director of The Rabbit Room, Pete Peterson. Uh, how are you today? I am here, and I am feeling good. How are you, Matt? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. By the way, like, what does that mean? Executive, like, executive directing. What what does that mean to executive direct everyone? Uh, it means that uh, I've got a staff underneath me, and I tell them what to do, and they execute my direction. <laughs> do you hold up that staff like Moses? Sometimes, yeah. And I'm almost not even kidding. No, it's uh, I mean, we just got a great staff at the Rabbit Room. We got about nine people on staff, and uh. Yeah, we just have meetings a couple times a week. We talk about the direction of the organization, what needs to get done, what we want to have fun doing next, and then we uh I make sure it all stays on track and happens as planned. And if Love all it. goes right, that's what happens. Hmm. Hey, Pete, I'm I'm so glad that you're able to guest on the podcast here because I feel like uh, you could speak to where we've been in a couple ways. For those who are jumping in, maybe to the deep end of the pool here, um, call it good. Our journey is really all about exploring Genesis 1 as a 
creative template. That is to say, what does it mean to create in the image of a creator? And specifically, we're looking at Genesis at, toward the end of Genesis one, this this rhythm of creation that allows us to reflect upon what's been made and even calling it good. And what does that mean for us as those created in God's image? Are we allowed to reflect in the same way? Do we call it good too? What does good even mean? We've been exploring all that in this series. And Pete, for you, you're both a practitioner of the arts. You're you're a playwright and an author, poet. At the same time, you're also running an organization that has to think about marketplace, industry, all these things. So I'd love to talk about this from a couple of those perspectives. And since we've started with the rabbit room, I'd love to start there. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to that last part, calling it good. That seems to be a central part of the rabbit room's own mission, getting people to participate in this sort of created in the image of a creator way. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but just when you said that, the whole idea of calling it good in Genesis, you know, that's what God does after he creates something. He, he names it, calls it good. And it occurs to me that there's a way in which I think that the rabbit room embodies that. Uh, and that is, I, I often say to the staff that, hey, if this isn't fun, let's don't do it. You know, I want everything that we're working on to be something that's giving us joy and that we're having fun doing. Because if it's not fun doing, you know, then, you know, I don't know how healthy it is to put all of our energy toward it. And uh, so I think there's a sense in which, you know, that calling of it good is is saying, hey, we need to remember to enjoy this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we're putting on a conference, like how do we, how do we put on a conference that uh, we can sit back and enjoy the work that we're doing and that we're putting into it? And that seems super valuable to me uh, as a leader of an organization, just as a way to make sure that it's uh, got a healthy culture and that uh, people feel fulfilled in their jobs is that you're constantly kind of reminding them that, hey, we have to call this good uh, and not just call it good, but like sit down and enjoy the thing that you've created. And I, I think that's something that I tell my staff a lot is let's remember to have fun doing it. And in my mind, those are very similar ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about the rabbit room more down that path, but, but real quickly here, how good are you at following that same advice for your own work? Yeah, that's a great question. I think everybody struggles with it. Uh, especially if you're a creative person, um, you know, there's some, there's uh this old saying that, you know, nobody ever finishes a book. You only abandon a book, <laughs> you know, meaning that, you know, you can work on something and try to perfect it forever, and you will never achieve that perfection that you, you have in your mind. And therefore, at some point, you just have to stop trying and let it be what it is. And that can be an unhealthy thing or a healthy thing. I think it's unhealthy when you really feel like you've failed and that you're sending something out into the world that is not what you wanted. Mm. But the healthy side of that, I think, is recognizing that, you know, I can work on this forever, but there's this point of diminishing returns. And it's time for me to call it good and let it go be itself in the world, whether it's perfect or not. Uh, and, you know, I don't think any of us ever create anything that's perfect, but that doesn't or it shouldn't prevent us from being able to say, hey, I've done a good thing and now I can sit back and enjoy its goodness and kind of watch it go out into the world and do its work. Uh, 
and that's an important thing as a creator, I think, this kind of like having to remember that uh, it's your job to serve the work. So like even after you've taken your hands off of it uh, and it goes out into the world, like remember to call it good and be proud of it and, uh, you know, give it its best chance uh, at life on its own. You know, and so like what that looks like for me is, you know, my first book, for example, uh, if I went back to it uh, with an editorial eye, I would change all sorts of things about it. You know, it's been 10 years since I wrote it. It was the first book I'd ever written. And yes, there are things about it that I'm unhappy with. But, you know, it's there's no sense in me sitting there griping about the things that should have been. The fact is, it's out there. It's doing good work in the world. And I'm proud of it. Uh, and I'm happy to move on to the, to call that one good to be proud of it, let it do its job, and then move on to the next project, which is going to be better than that one probably. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about serving the work. And 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 I think normally when we talk about the creative process or when we understand it, the focus is is typically on the actual creating part during that time, right? Like like a musician yeah. will talk about serving the song and and then all the barriers that they try to get out of the way of just allowing a song to form the way it wants to be formed in a way. But really what you're talking about and maybe what we're talking about as well really sounds like serving the work, whatever it is, doesn't just end with the creation of the work. Serving the work involves sharing the work, right? Yeah. It involves sharing it. And it, uh, it's really awkward these days, you know, like part of your job as a creator is to, you know, have your release day and then to go out and promote it and build a platform and get on social media and all that stuff, which is like nightmarish for a lot of us, me included. And, you know, I have to remind myself that, you know, it's my job to serve the work. Otherwise, why have I created it? You wouldn't give birth to a child and then just kick it out the door and hope that it makes it, you know, you raise the child. And, you know, in a lot of ways, my plays, my books are my children. You know, and so once they're born, like, you know, I want to shepherd them into the world in the best way that I can, even when that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I encourage uh, other creators in the community in that direction a lot. Like, yes, you just com- you've climbed a mountain by completing this creative project. But now the next mountain is to serve the project. And that's not, you know, just marketing speak. Like, I really believe there's a spiritual component to that. Like once you've created something, like you owe it something. Um, and what you owe it is is uh, a, a f- the fostering or the parenting of it out into the world so that it can grow to maturity and do the good work that it was created to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, like I, I wrote an adaptation of Frankenstein, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein a couple of years ago for the stage. And that was one of the things that I was really interested in uh, with that story was that, uh, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, he creates this thing and then he immediately shuns and abandons it to its own uh, devices. And that causes Mm -hmm. bitterness between him and his creation and his creation becomes monstrous and haunts him. You know, so there's this sense in which had he instead really fostered and shepherded and served his work, his work would have grown to become something beautiful. Uh, Mm -hmm. And by neglecting to do that, what we have is the story of Frankenstein's monster, you know, and I think our creative work can be like that. You know, I don't think it necessarily is going to come back to haunt us in the same way, but there is the sense in which, you know, if we put in the work to create something, and especially if I believe that the Holy spirit has sort of empowered me to create this thing, 
then it's also my job to serve it and to be its parent and to help it have its best possible chance in the world. Mm. You, you know, you said yourself, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to share and that those things can really feel gross very yeah. quickly. Like the conversation can turn to your personal brand or, right. you know, some other marketing speak and it can all feel like um, either egotistical or, or just, uh, yeah, gross yeah. for lack of a better word. Right. And so I, what I, well, here's what I wonder, you just said, no, I think it's a spiritual act to serve the work by sharing it. So right. do you think we've lost, like, like how do we reclaim that as an ungross thing? Do you think we don't talk about it enough? Do you think that, uh, you know, because then other yeah other Christian ideas of humility can come into play here and it's right. actually just fear, right? Yeah. Well, I think um, like that kind of service to the thing that you've created is like, if you do, if it, there's, I guess there's an unhealthy and a healthy side to it. The unhealthy version of it does look egotistical and maybe prideful and it's gross because you're out there trying to sell something. Whereas the healthy side of it, which is a, you know, what I'm championing is one of humility like once you've created something like in my mind, the thing that I'm serving now is not myself. It is this thing that the Holy Spirit gave to me. So if I see it as a gift that came to me and it's a gift that I've given, um, then that sort of removes me from the, from the equation. And now, you know, my job is to go out and serve that thing because I believe that the Lord gave this thing to me in order that I can give it to the world, you know, so I'm going to call it good. You know, and I'm going to go out there and 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 shepherd it and parent it, like I said, and and I think that's healthy. It can't, and it, it's interesting. Like it's really hard to do because it feels gross to us as creators to constantly talk about the thing, and uh, I think there are different ways in which you can negate that, um, and one of them is just through humility. Like, don't go out there and just talk about your thing everywhere. But if somebody talks about it, you know, maybe just say thank you. You know, for a long time after I'd written my first couple of books and people would come up to me at events or whatever and say, oh, hey, I'm a huge fan of your book. Like, it was so good. You know, my reaction would be like, oh, yeah, well, it was it was it's OK. You know, you know, I wish I'd done this differently and really mm -hmm. kind of being self-deprecating about it. And somebody told me at some point that, why don't you just say thank you? And I realized that that's a great point. Like, that's the hu really humble thing to do is to just say, well, thank you. You know, because that's uh, kind of, I think, probably in some ways, the spirit giving back to me something, you know, uh, that I, I've worked for something. And now when somebody comes to me and says, hey, it did the thing that you wanted to do, I shouldn't badmouth that. I should say thank you. You know, <laughs> and that's not me being prideful. That's me being humble. I'm being humble enough to just be small and say thank you. Hmm. Take me back to, you know, you'd, you'd written... You'd written the first book. You'd written second book. You'd you'd taken over the you know like you'd you'd been leading the rabbit room and involved more and more in in this career defined by the arts, um, or working within the arts. But shifting to playwriting is a whole other endeavor. Like yeah. when when you made that shift, um, can you talk? Can you talk about like? what we've been discussing at that level. Like, do you remember what it was like to maybe share um, 
even though you'd had other experience, like when you're stepping into something new, I guess mm-hmm. I wonder, do you remember some of those emotions of like wanting to tell people what you're up to and yet, and yet maybe some of the yeah. feelings there of, of being like, well, who am I? Yeah. Um, it was complicated. So I was a novelist. Uh, and then a friend of mine who worked in the theater community here in Nashville, Matt Logan, he came to me and said, Hey, we've got this original stage play that we want to develop. Would you be interested in writing it? And, uh, I had never aspired to stage writing before. Uh, it wasn't something I ever foresaw myself doing, but I liked the idea of a challenge and I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to this point. So I said, yes, not having any idea what I was getting into. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I will do that. And then I went home and had a heart attack because I couldn't believe I'd committed to it. And uh, and on top of that, they had paid me for it. So now I had to deliver. I couldn't back out of it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, and they had even, I, I, th- I even think when, when I said yes, they already had the theater booked on the opening day set and they were selling tickets. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was like, there was no chance this wasn't going to happen. No matter what, come <laughs> opening night, something was going to happen and it was going to have my name on it. <laughs> so if that's not scary, I don't know what is. Oh, uh, but, you know, I, went through the whole process and thankfully, it, you know, it, it wasn't happening in a vacuum. Uh, I, I was asked because, you know, people had read my books and thought, hey, this guy understands storytelling. I think he can pull this off. And then, you know, I went through bad draft after bad draft and had people read it and tell me what was wrong with it, uh, which is a humbling experience. And, uh, you know, just over the course of the next couple of months, you know, came up with something that I thought was serviceable. And we went into uh, rehearsals two weeks before opening night. Uh, the first time the cast had ever gotten together and tried this on their uh, on it on its own. And we didn't even have songs till two weeks before because it was a musical. It was called The Battle of Franklin. So we didn't even, I'm not a songwriter. So they couldn't start writing the songs till I was finished with the script. Uh, so two weeks before opening, uh, sat down with a songwriter and in about three days wrote all the songs and then started rehearsals. And it was a terrifying experience. But, uh, you know, what was super valuable to me and what I needed was was to be part of that rehearsal process so that. I could sit and watch it unfold apart from myself. I could see what other people were bringing to these words and to this music and to this story and uh, begin to see what was working and what was not. And uh, so, you know, I literally tinkered with that script all the way through the rehearsal process until opening night. Um, that It wasn't locked until opening night. And it's because, you know, I was new at this, didn't, didn't know what was going to work, didn't know what, what was going to work. And, uh, you know, just put myself in service of the work to do whatever it needed to make it as successful as possible. And it was humbling and I couldn't have done it without other people around me because like you need to see how it plays off of somebody who doesn't know the lines already. You need to see how it's played off of somebody who doesn't know the story already. Um, And that was really, really valuable. And the show opened and it was a huge success and uh, we've been doing theater ever since. Uh, which has been a lot of fun, but that first one was definitely uh, a risky endeavor for everybody involved. <laughs> I think, man, I I remember coming down to see it. It was just so great to see this new creative direction from you, and yeah, it was really it was really amazing. It was really amazing. It was a lot of fun. Uh, let me ask. Let me ask more about the rabbit room here. 
Yeah. Because I wonder about, you know, you have this task of shepherding this thing that's really grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the last couple of years. What does, like, what, what do you learn? I have a feeling that you could be involved with a lot more things than you are and say yes to a hundred different directions that may seem to make sense or this and that. And yet at the same time, now you have this sort of, I don't know, this culture to, to maybe protect and shepherd as well. Like, mm-hmm. I, I guess I like, you know, before you're, I, when something's first starting, you're wanting any door to open when right. something's established, then it's wondering which doors to open. Yeah. So I guess I wonder what you've learned about some of this, like calling it good and maybe saying, okay, well, that may be good, but that may not be for us or, Oh, that's right. good. And that's for us. Can you talk about the tension that you feel yeah. or, or maybe don't feel there? There is definitely a tension. I know, uh, you know, just amongst my own staff, there is a feeling sometimes that we are doing too much and we're saying yes to too many things and it's exhausting to people. And so I think part of my answer to that question is, you know, a lot of the way that I gauge it is by gauging the energy levels and the workloads of the people around me. You know, and if I feel like, we've got a handle on everything and a great opportunity comes around the corner, then that's a lot easier for me to say yes to. But, you know, like right now we're in the middle of uh, production for a conference is coming up in two months and we've got all sorts of video content and music content and web content that we're building and there's no room on anybody's plate for anything. So at the moment, if the best opportunity in the world came across my desk, I would have to say no to it. And I would happily say no to it because we're doing really good work and we're doing something that we love doing. Um, And, you know, I think the spirit, you know, has given us this work to do. And if I say yes to something else, then it's lessening the thing that I am working on. Uh, So I guess the real answer to my question there as the leader of an organization, as I gauge these things based on, you know, what I see around me in the, in the culture of the staff, because I'm, you know, conscious constantly of wanting to, of needing to be the shepherd of their health and of their skills, and I want to see them grow. I don't want to see them be choked and exhausted, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. As you served, as you served as a sort of, um, uh, you know, in many ways, the rabbit room is a nest for several artists, and and um, in in some ways, helping. You know, whether it's serving as the store, or um, or creating content that helps inspire others to create, etc. I guess I just wonder there, like advice that you would have for people who often look to the rabbit room for help along the creative path. Like, are there things that you've learned from shepherding other artists or, or being in close quarters with mm-hmm. them so much that maybe, Hey, these are some of the challenges I see that when people want to create an image of a creator, but this is the hurdle that they find, you know, like, I guess yeah. I just wonder if few people could speak from the perspective that you would have there. Um, and I guess I wonder maybe what you'd bring up and say, hey, here's what people need to know, because here's what we tend to help people with. Yeah, uh, I think, well, on a personal level, you know, what I, one of the pieces of advice I, that I would give and that I do give a lot is say yes to things that are outside your comfort zone. Like the, the I just talked about theater. You know, I didn't have any aspirations to do that. Somebody asked me to, and it felt way out of my zone, but I felt like I had the skill set, at least not to fail completely. 
and I, w- I trusted in the process and went forward and did it. And it opened up this whole new creative thing that I thoroughly enjoy these days. And I think we've done that a lot in the rabbit room with publishing, with conferences, with uh, events and things. Like, I don't know how we're going to achieve something called Hutchmoot Homebound, which is the online version of our annual conference. We had to make the call last year during COVID to either cancel entirely or to move the whole conference online. And uh, we had no idea what that meant, but we said, you know what, we're going to do it. And then we went forward and figured it out. And it ended up being this huge uh, creative uh, work that everybody thoroughly enjoyed and was invigorated by because we were figuring out all the answers to these problems and figuring out ways to make it fun. And, uh, you know, all that only came about because we said yes to something that was difficult that we didn't know how we were going to do it. And so, like, I would encourage any developing or up and coming or established artist to, to say yes to things, even though they are not what you maybe would choose for yourself. I just think it opens up so much creative potential. And that's a super uncomfortable thing for people. Like I'm, I'm an eight. I, I love on the Enneagram, I'm an eight. And uh, I'm always here for a challenge. You know, I want to go out and conquer something, all that kind of stuff. So part of it, that's my personality. And I know it's much more difficult for, for people with other personalities, but I think it's always good. You know, I've seen it in my wife. I've seen it in my coworkers and my friends. Like even if they're really deeply uncomfortable with that, that creative space outside of their zone, uh, it almost always results in something that they wouldn't have thought of had they not been pushed there. So I think that's super important, you know, for anybody that's in creative work. Uh, so organizationally, or no, you didn't. You, you said uh, like for people in the rabbit room that are out there, kind of paying attention to what we're doing. I say the yeah. same thing applies absolutely. Like. Uh, you know, do the thing that's unexpected, even though everybody that's a crazy or everybody that's around you might think you're crazy for doing it. I'm like, go ahead and do it. And sometimes you're going to fail and nobody's going to understand it, you know, but call it good. You know, be satisfied with the work that you put on, into it and then move on to the next thing. And the next thing is going to be better than the first thing. Like you're always learning um, and you're only always learning if you're always doing something you haven't done before. Uh, so, you know, it's easy to relax into the thing that we feel like we're good at. And there is value in that as well. But I think real creative growth comes when we venture outside of our comfort zone. Hmm. We're talking about activity and it just brings to mind one more for you here, Pete. In in terms of, you know, it's like, oh yeah, say yes to this thing that makes you uncomfortable. Step outside your comfort zone. You know, do the thing that you feel called to. Yet part of the rhythm that we're talking about is rest and reflection. And yeah. I... Like, what does that look like in, in your life? Is, is, is that a struggle for you is, is, or, or not? And, and, and then what does that mean as you plan? Like, you know, you guys are, are yeah. all in on Hutchmoot right now. Um, what does that mean even organizationally for the rabbit room? Well, certainly um, personally, I think it's funny. I would answer and say that it's not that hard for me, but I know my wife would argue with me because <laughs> she knows me better and she knows that I'm, I'm a workaholic and I work, 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 work. Mm-hmm. And so I've, over the course of the last few years, I've really tried hard to think uh, in a more healthy way about rhythms of work and rest. Uh, so, uh, you know, every year when we do Hutchmoot, which happens in October, which is an enormous amount of work, I try to take a couple of weeks off after that and uh, just do something that's fun, just rest. And like I said before, I think, you know, there's a sense in which that's uh, 
me calling it good. You know, God created the world, called it good, went on break. <laughs> and, uh, and that's right. That's the way it should be, you know, to sit yeah. down and enjoy the fruit of your work, you know? And, and so I, and slowly over the years, I've, I've begun to intuit some of those rhythms, which I think is being really healthy for me. And so for, you know, for instance, at the moment, you know, we're in a really busy season of working right now, and that season's going to go on basically throughout the rest of the year. But, you know, early next year, my wife and I have planned a trip and uh, we're looking forward to it. We're, pl- we're planning for it. And, you know, that's kind of the, the, that's what our work with them is at the moment is we're working now uh, for the, for the break that's going to come early next year. Um, so then organizationally, I, I, it's very much the same. Like I, I encourage my staff, like after we've accomplished something to, Hey, you know what? You're just off today. You know, I, I order you not to work and, <laughs> you know, it's frustrating to me sometimes that some of them are like me and they will work themselves to death. And it's hard to get them to understand like, no, nothing that you're working on right now is uh, is going to stop the world if you don't finish it. So you have my permission to go home, don't do anything for three days, and come back, and it's all going to be fine. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to impart to young people. You know, my staff are in their 20s and 30s, and I don't want them to arrive at 50 like I have and realize that they never stop working and they don't take vacations because I don't <laughs> think that's healthy. Uh, so, yeah, I do think it's important, and I, I encourage that in them. Um and I'm pleased when they listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're executive directing well. I hope so. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Pete, thanks so much for joining us uh, on this episode. And yeah. it's so great to hear about what's going on at the Rabbit Room and, and in your own life. But uh, these, these rhythms that are healthy and, and learning how to serve the work in meaningful ways. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Call It Good is brought to you by the Rabbit Room Podcast Network, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To listen to all the podcasts on our network, visit rabbitroom.com podcasts. The work we do at the Rabbit Room wouldn't be possible without the generous support of our membership. If you're a member, thank you for being a part of what is happening here. To learn more about membership and help us continue to create works like this, visit rabbitroom.com slash membership.